Thank you, everyone. Um, thank you, Danny, for that scripture. Thank you, Beth Ann, for sharing your story. I'm Hannah, and I'm the pastor here, and I am so, so glad that each one of you has been brought here. Whatever it is that has brought you here, I am grateful. Uh, a little note before we really get into it. Um, I always say this when we read the book of John, uh, the Gospel of John, because it confuses people. Um, so you'll notice that the translation Danny was reading from used this phrase, the Jewish leaders, where the Gospel of John says over and over again, the Jews, the Jews, they did this, they did this. Um, the Gospel of John, which often does talk about the Jews in a negative, oppressive way, um, has been used throughout Christian history as an excuse for anti-Semitism, basically, as an excuse for discrimination. Um, yeah, boo anti-Semitism. We can all agree on that. Um, and, and it's important to remember that John and Jesus and his best friends were all Jewish. Um, and they're in an intra-community conflict. So what's happening is basically the way that... Um, you can say stuff about your brother that you'd never let anybody else say, right? Or like you talk about dumb Americans in a way that if someone else from another country did it, right? If you are, if you are a resident of the country, you'd be like, hey, hey, dude, like slow it down. Um, when John is talking about his people, he talks with the same passion that we all talk about our people, which often involves just as much insult as it does benefit. But he's not talking from the outside, he's talking from the inside. And once we're people who are on the outside, um, we have to remember to talk in a different way because we can cause damage when we don't, right? So if you've ever been confused about why it sounds like that or what's going on there or why it makes you feel so uncomfortable, there you go. Yay. The end. All right. So now will you please pray with me before our message. Lord God, we stand before you in a world that feels as broken as it does whole. We are in lament for the death of Philando Castile and so many others. We are in lament for ongoing war, for the oppression that still hurts so many, for the fact that Pride Month um, has to be one month out of the year for all those who have died unjustly this year of violence within this city, by the state, and by others. And still we say that there must be something worth saving in this world and in ourselves. There is some glimpse of your love. There is some glimpse of your justice that peeks through. We seek to know it better and to run after it that as we honestly lament, that as we feel our anger, that as we are who we are, and as we feel what we feel, and as the world is as damaging as it is to black and to brown people and to queer people, we say, we will not be. We will make every effort to excavate racism from our souls, from ourselves, and from the systems that we are a part of. And we need your help in that. And so in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're talking about stories today. We're in this sermon series called Shareable, about what we share and how we share it. It's our evangelism sermon series. And at the end of the day, um, really the most important thing you or anyone ever has to share is their story. 
It's part of why we do testimonies here every week rather than, uh, you know, theological treatise time. <laughs> it's why we do testimonies rather than yell at you for what you've done wrong time. There's something about a story, um, a story about who we are and what has happened to us that moves, that changes, that touches in a way that nothing else can. It's part of why I think Jesus talked almost entirely through stories, stories of things that had happened to him and his people or stories that he created from his God-given imagination. Um, Stories about what is happening to us change us and move us and show us things that statements about what is right often don't. It's why you might have gotten in a thousand arguments with somebody that you love about something that you disagree with them about, and they have never bowed to your excellent reasoning. (laughs) But when you tell them a story about why it hurts you or why it hurts someone else, still they may not bow, but there is more likelihood that they will see, that they will begin to see in a more fundamental way, in a not physical ability way, but in the way that Jesus is really talking about, where we see other people and what God is doing. That's what um, the man who they continue to call the blind man does throughout this story. And a couple of things about this gospel passage. One is that uh, this man who was born blind and has been living his life and doing his thing uh, is accused by his peers of being blind because of his sin, right? Um, Or his parents, they're, they're convinced that it's sin somewhere along the line. They're just not sure where. Because in his time and in his place, it was believed that if something happened to you that made your life harder, if something happened to you that made you different from others or you were any way noticeable, it must be because there was sin somewhere, right? Bad things don't happen to good people, was the logic. And we like to imagine that we have moved beyond that, that we've rejected that, but we haven't. We walk around with this a lot, I think, where we believe that people have problems or challenges because of something inside of them. But Jesus rejects that totally and completely. This is not about sin. This is a God-given part of this person. A God-given part of this person. And I I think... um, It's confusing, all of these stories of healings in the Bible. Jesus is such a healer. Um, But some of the folks are living with things that uh, they may or may not experience as worse, right? And so I sort of like to think that Jesus somehow knew that this particular blind man didn't want to be blind anymore, but that he also knew that blindness isn't a problem, right? It's a state. (laughs) It's one other state of being. And so he puts the mud on the man's eyes, and all of a sudden the man can see. And but nobody believes him. (laughs) They still don't believe that he's not a sinner. They still don't believe that Jesus isn't a sinner. They still don't believe that the parents aren't a sinner. And his response is not, well, here, let me prove it to you. His response is not a speech. His response is not eloquence. His response is not something compelling and convincing and a story of the universe and an explanation of miracles and an explanation of why Jesus might make this happen. He responds over and over again by just sticking to his story. I don't know about that, man. All I know is what happened to me. (laughs) A guy put mud on my eyes, and now things are different. People say, you know, explain it. Is he a prophet? Is he God? You know, make it. I don't know. All I know is what happened to me. A guy put mud on my eyes, and my life is different forever. 
He goes back to it over and over and over again. And if I didn't think all of you would have lost the thread of it, the story goes for another 15 or 20 verses where he continues. People question him and want him to answer all kinds of questions that he's not capable or not interested in answering. And he responds always with, I don't know about that. I don't care about that. Here's what I know, what has happened to me. I used to do storytelling workshops with young leaders who are often not taken seriously by peers at work or in what they're doing. And the one thing we would always say is people will often try and make you um, a bearer of your community, right? A person who explains what X people are like or what X issue is like. And instead, what you can do is say, I may not be the expert on that, or even if I am, I might not be interested in talking about it right now. But what everyone is is the expert of their own story. If someone tells you that you can't talk about that because you don't have a PhD in it, right? Or you can't talk about that aspect of world experience because you haven't proved, right, that you know everything that they want you to know in order to listen to you. We are experts of our own experience. We are experts on our stories, and our stories walk with us and hold us when everything else refuses to. We are our stories. Now, that's not magic. Um, there are things that stories don't and can't do, but they remain powerful for us. And so I want to talk about a couple of ways in which stories have changed the world, and then we're going to work a little bit on crafting our own stories. Um, the first I've been thinking about a lot because there is this very, very, very dangerous and cruel um, healthcare bill that's coming before, um, that is currently being created in the Senate and that may become law. Um, I was thinking about the last time that we passed a major healthcare bill as the country. Um, and that bill wasn't perfect and that president wasn't perfect. Hey, did daddy lose you? <laughs> Hi. Um, that bill wasn't perfect and that president wasn't perfect because... Oh, yeah, it's hard to be a baby. I'll see you after worship. Bye-bye. Um, that president wasn't perfect because politicians aren't Jesus. They're people just like us that have uh, things that they're good at and things that they're bad at and things that they do that are right and things that they do that we disagree with. But it was at least one that I thought um, the intentions behind it were to help people. Baseline standard. And... You may not know this, uh, President Obama had a special office in his White House that would sort through every piece of mail that was addressed to the president. And he made a commitment that every single day, he, you can't read all the mail that comes to the president, that would be the only thing you ever did. <laughs> but he made a commitment that he would read 10 letters a day from citizens that were written to the White House. And he had a whole office that was devoted to getting these letters so that he could hear the stories of the people that he led. And one of the stories that he came across was a letter um, from a woman named Natoma Canfield. This is that letter. Um, you can read the whole thing online easily, um, but it starts, I am 50 years old. I was diagnosed with carcinoma in C2 16 years ago, and following my divorce 12 years ago, I became self-employed. After my COBRA ran out, I was able to find costly but affordable health insurance. As a responsible individual, I have struggled to maintain my individual coverage and have increased my deductible and out-of-pocket limits in an attempt to control my cost and keep my health insurance. The next three paragraphs are just math, where she just shares what she has had to pay out and how it has made her almost unable to pay for anything else in her life. Um, 
And at the end, it says, I live in the house my mother and father built in 1958, and I am so afraid of the possibility I might lose this as a result of my being forced to drop my health care insurance. They have not technically denied me insurance directly, but indirectly they have by increasing my costs. They perceive me as a higher risk factor to them despite being a loyal customer. I will never be able to obtain new health insurance. And she just told her story. It's not fancy. It's not Pulitzer Prize winning or Nobel Prize winning literature. It's her story. It's just the facts of what has happened to her and why it has been hard. And when Predazon Obama read this, um, he ended up reading it in multiple speeches, reading it to almost every senator and congressperson he met with throughout the year that he was advocating for a new healthcare system. There was about thir 12, 13 months of that. And he carried it in his pocket every single day while he was advocating for the bill. He made this commitment that that story would be with him. And when the bill passed, he gave credit to this story as being a huge part of why. That there was a specific person who people could imagine, who people could see that the world and the system had hurt. <clears throat> and I, I think it shows us the power of what stories can do to change minds alongside a lot of other things like decades of protest and pressure placed upon people who have power. But that's not what happens every single time a story is told. Sometimes we tell our story over and over again, and the world is so broken it refuses to hear us. And so our story remains to us a solid witness of what is real and what is true, even when everybody else is trying to deny it. And that's the second story that I want to tell today, which is the story of Philando Castile. Um, it's hard to even look at this picture. Um, so, so some of you know, Philando Castile was a man who, uh, in Minneapolis-St. Paul last year, was sitting in a car with his girlfriend, Diamond Reynolds, and her four-year-old daughter, for whom he had been a caring, loving, fathering presence. Um, Philando Castile worked in a cafeteria at a school and knew every single one of his students' allergies by heart. He was called Mr. Phil by the people who worked at that school. He had never committed or been convicted of a crime, but he had been pulled over by the police in his vehicle 46 times. 46 times. Um, and last year, uh, when he was pulled over um, for a broken taillight, uh, he told the officer that he had a gun for which he had a permit, which he did to warn him, um, to let him know. He had also been told to take his license out of his pocket, and as he was reaching for his pocket, he was shot and killed, murdered, and he is dead. Um, and immediately afterwards, his girlfriend Diamond Reynolds took out her phone and started videotaping it and started Facebook living it. Um, and I can't imagine, I can't imagine what it takes to have just experienced one of the most traumatic things that could ever happen to a person in their life and to still know the risk that you are at, right? You have just seen someone killed. It could happen to you. It could happen to your child in the back seat to know the risk that you are in and to see one of the worst things that you could ever see and to say, the world has to know about this. 
I don't care about the risk I'm capturing this story. And so there is videotape, there is forensic evidence, and yet this week, the officer who killed Philando Castile was acquitted of all charges. It's really clear that our country is broken. It's really clear that in every possible way, our justice system is broken. There are dozens of names, Sandra Bland from here, Elton Sterling, <laughs> Michael Brown, we could go forever, of people who have died, who had so many years left to live the lives that God had given them. And their stories have not yet been the source of countrywide change because our country is too racist for that. Right? I mean, that's the reality. Um, because we are too broken, because the system remains too organized against 13% of our citizens and so many of our people. And yet, Valerie Castile, Philando Castile's mother, when she gave some incredible press conferences this week where she is in sadness and she is in anger, she, knowing the risk, knowing it would be easier to not take on the most powerful system in our country, which is the law enforcement system, knowing the risk, continues to tell his story and to tell the truth of it and to not pretend that anything else is true about what happened to her than that something awful and unjust has happened. And there are times when the world shocks us with its ability to be wrong <laughs> and to be extraordinarily evil even. And in those times, we have a responsibility to carry and to live out and to continue to tell these stories that are the truth of what has happened. And I think this is especially true in this moment in time for white people. We are a mixed community. We have a lot of people who are here. We have people who, after seeing this, knew that they were more at risk, that their families were more at risk, that they are vulnerable. I say to you, if you are that part of our community, you do whatever it takes to survive right, and to thrive in this world that is seeking to hurt you and your family. You do whatever it takes to find some measure of peace and love and joy. You do the fun things, you drink the tea, you do what you need to do. For those of us who were not made more at risk by the decision this week, for those of us who remain, whatever else might be going on in our lives, whatever else might hurt us, in a place of power in our community, in a place of influence in our community, where we have a basic sense of trust that the organs of power are not trying to hurt us every day that we go out into the streets. We have a responsibility to do what we can to make sure that these stories never die, to make sure that these stories are a part of a broader and longer story of how we changed and of how our country changed, and of how our world changed, and of how we decided that no more people could die. I don't know if that will happen in our lifetime because injustice is real and evil is long. I don't know how it happens. It certainly won't be easy, but we cannot give up and we cannot ignore. 
no matter how tempting it may be to forget about the trauma and the pain the world has experienced. We have a responsibility to carry these stories to those of our friends and our families and our communities and our leaders who refuse yet to believe that this is a problem or that it is a pattern, who will not believe that racism is a part of our society and our community, who will not believe that oppression is something that black men, women, children, and non-binary people face every day, and that the threats are real. We have to carry on these stories because whatever else <laughs> might happen or not happen, we know these stories to be true. And they are staring at us in the face and we cannot stare back and say, I don't feel like thinking about that. I don't feel like talking about that. These stories are ours. They're part of the story of us. They're part of the story of what is happening to us because everything is knotted up together there's no one who gets free without all of us being free. And this is a profound source of unfreedom. And so we have to continue telling this story and discussing it and going to the marches and talking to our legislators and doing all of the things and a lot of it might not work. But the blind man didn't have an option and neither do we. When the world says to you, I don't wanna hear about that. When the world says to you, I have a different explanation, you have to say, but this happened. It happened, I know that it happened, it's true, <laughs> and we cannot let go. There are all kinds of stories. There are the stories of how we learned about the brokenness of our world. There are stories about how we learned who God was in our lives. This is an evangelism sermon series, and a lot of people think that what evangelism is about is convincing people that Jesus is awesome and they should be his friend, which for some of us it is, but for more, I think, in a world that's as hurting as ours is, evangelism is about being honest to the values that we hold. The number one thing that people say about churches and about people who are in them is that they are hypocritical, right? And so if we are to say that Jesus cares equally about all, we must pay attention to the groups that are less cared for about our, in our society and care for them more, right? We have to be the forces and the truth of what we say God has done, which is create all people to be held in justice, love, and mercy throughout their entire lives. And in the places where that has not happened, we work to address it or we just witness to it for as long as we can in whatever ways we can. So I want you to take a couple minutes and share with a person um, a story for you of where you are in this world today. Your story of why you think something matters, it could be God, it could be racism, it could be healthcare, why you believe that there is something in the world that people need to be animated by and transformed to. Why is it that you care inside of you? What are the stories that you've heard? What are the things that you've seen that make you want the world to be something more? Consider it in yourself, and what you would want other people to hear about where we need to go and what we need to do given what has happened. If you don't like talking to people, that's okay. It's a heavy time and a heavy morning. If you need this time to pray, you take that time. If you wanna write a poster, you write a poster. Or you can talk to a friend about where you are right now, somewhere in the community, um, and what your story is that will carry you forward to continue, to continue. Um, 
and to be a little braver tomorrow than you were yesterday, and to believe that the world can be different than it is. So let's take a few minutes to tell some stories to one another. Thanks, everyone, and welcome back to the big community. Um, there's so much happening in our world that it can feel overwhelming to believe that we have a place or a role in telling the truth about it. And yet, um, we must, we must, at the very least, be honest about what we have seen and be truthful about what it means. And then let that lead us to what the next step is. This week, I would encourage you, especially if you are white and a part of white communities, um, to tell the truth about what happened to Philando Castile in a public way, in your conversations, in your identity, and see what happens next. For those of us who are um, in danger all the time from our world, we ask that we would know that God has always been with the most in danger and the most marginalized, that that's where Jesus lives, and that Jesus knows that experience, and Jesus' story is one with our story. For those of us for whom that is not true, we ask that we would see in that story an ability to be more brave, to be more brave and to act and to shape the world. Um, and sometimes the act is mourning and lamenting, and so we'll do that too and we'll share our stories with one another and we will go forward in this time to communion in all times to what comes next, carrying the stories that are true about what has happened to the people in our community. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.